Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. The Gospels record 37 miracles Jesus performed during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, and John actually tells us that he performed many other signs that didn't even get recorded in the Gospels. Some of his miracles included healing chronic ailments, casting out demons, calming storms, walking on water, feeding thousands, and resurrecting the dead. Jesus' miracles weren't done to entertain or just make a spectacle, but to give a witness to who he was and the power behind him. But what is a biblical miracle? A biblical miracle is when something happens that is impossible according to the laws of the physical universe. A human being cannot walk on top of liquid water or feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. Miracles require a spiritual force to intervene in the physical world to alter, bend, or completely suspend physical law. Now, the Bible doesn't mention Jesus performing physics-defying miracles until he was about the age of 30. So, as far as we know, Jesus spent roughly 90% of his physical life completely subject to the laws of the universe, the physical laws, that is. But some people might ask, was Jesus born with superhuman powers? Before we explore his first recorded miracle, we have to consider just how Jesus was able to perform these miracles. Was he born as a human being with supernatural powers? Was he a superhuman being? Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible is clear that Jesus completely gave up the powers and privileges of divinity when he came to earth. We read in Philippians 2 verse 7 in the English Standard Version that he emptied himself of eternal spirit life and was born in the likeness of men. That means he surrendered all the unlimited powers of spirit life. He ceased being spirit and literally, as John 1 verse 14 says, became flesh. Why is this such an important point? Because it shows that Jesus was as fully human as we are, not born with some superpower embedded into his body. If his body had been different, he would have only been partially human. But the Bible is clear in Hebrews 2 verse 17, he was in all things made like his brethren. Not in some things, but in all things. He experienced all the physical limitations of life that you and I do. He didn't secretly possess superhuman powers like the fictional Superman character. Jesus actually made this clear in John 5 verses 19 and verse 30. There he said, The Son can do nothing of himself. And then in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. In other words, by himself, he had no power to do anything beyond that which any other man could do. So then the question must be asked, how did Jesus perform physics-defying miracles? Because we know he did. Well, Jesus gave the answer in John 14 verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. The miracles Jesus performed as a human being were only possible through the power of the Father working through him. In Acts 10 verse 38, the apostle Peter explained that the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
Jesus was able to perform miraculous feats because the Father was with him, empowering him through the Holy Spirit. It was his faith and total reliance on the Father that gave him the ability to make the impossible possible. It was only after he was resurrected from the dead, after being dead for three days and three nights, that all his divine powers, the powers of divinity, were restored to him. Now with that as background, let's transition and take a look, a closer look, at the first recorded miracle of Jesus in the Bible. That, of course, happened at the wedding in Cana. The setting for this first miracle was, of course, this small town of Cana, located in the northern Galilee region, near where Jesus grew up and lived. Cana's exact location is uncertain, but most scholars believe it was a few miles to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when he went to this wedding, Jesus had already begun his ministry. But at this point, it mainly consisted of choosing his disciples and preaching. We are told that Jesus' mother Mary was also in attendance at this wedding, and that Jesus and his disciples were invited. We read that in John 2, verse 2. It's possible that either the bride or the groom was part of Jesus' extended family, and this is why he and his mother were there. Now, we're not given many details about this wedding, but we are told that the wine ran out prematurely. Perhaps more guests showed up than they had planned for. We read in verse 3 that Mary informed Jesus of this wine shortage. Notice Jesus' initial response. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this translation into English can sound a bit rude. But we have to be careful about reading into the text a disrespectful tone that wasn't necessarily there in the original speech, or in the original speaking of this. Now today, it would be somewhat odd to address one's mother, or really any female, as just woman. That could get you into trouble. But in that culture, it was actually a common way of showing respect and courtesy to women. And you can read it used in Luke 13, verse 12, John 4, verse 21, and John 8, verse 10. Some translations even translate it as dear woman to try to bring out this nuance. Jesus wasn't calling his mother woman in a disrespectful way or tone. Jesus was actually respectfully telling his mother that this wine shortage was not an emergency that he was responsible to fix. And that was absolutely correct. He also knew that he had to be careful about drawing too much attention to himself too early in his ministry. He had to be careful about not speeding things up before their time. But instead of relenting, Mary simply instructed the servants to do whatever Jesus told them in verse 5. Mary didn't know exactly what Jesus would do, but she expected he would do something. Now, we're told that there were six stone water pots at this wedding for the purpose of ceremonial hand washing, a tradition of the Jews at that time. So Jesus instructed the servants to fill these water pots with water and draw some out and take it to the master of the feast in verse 8. The master of the feast was probably like a modern day wedding organizer or MC. He was in charge of the organization of the whole event. But the amazing thing is, when it was brought to the master of the feast, what came out of these water pots was not water, but wine. And not just average bottom shelf wine, but wine of incredibly fine quality. It was so good that the master even commented to the groom that it was unusual for the best wine to be served that late into the evening. Now, according to physical law, water does not ferment. 
If sugar or other substances are added to water, there can be a form of fermentation over a long period of time, but even then the result would be tasteless and clear, similar to vodka. It would never become red or be mistaken for even the cheapest of wines. What happened was a miracle. Through the power of the Father, Jesus transformed simple hydrogen and oxygen, water, to fermented grape wine. That's a miracle. That can't happen. But it did happen. And since this wine was created by God himself, it was undoubtedly the highest quality and finest tasting wine probably in the history of wine. Why did Jesus perform such a seemingly insignificant miracle? Perhaps it was driven by compassion for the organizer and the family to save them the embarrassment of not being able to serve their own guests. We're not given any more details about the wedding or the miracle other than the miracle's significance. We read that in John 2 verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. They not only saw that this man that they were following was an inspired teacher, but they also saw that God was clearly working with him to do the impossible. So what lessons can we learn from Jesus' first miracle? Though changing water into wine may not seem as life-changing and significant as the miracles that would come later in his ministry, you know, miracles like raising the dead and healing people from lifelong debilitating illnesses and handicaps, the miracle still holds lessons for us today. What can we learn from this miracle at Cana? Let's consider four lessons. Number one, Jesus honored his mother. Though he was initially reluctant to intervene in this situation, it, it seems Jesus did so mainly because his mother asked him to. Jesus perfectly practiced the fifth commandment to honor his parents, and he treated his physical mother with concern and respect throughout his life. The second lesson, Jesus was not anti-alcohol. The Greek word translated wine is oinos, which means fermented wine derived from grapes. Though a Christian has every right to abstain from alcohol if they choose, enjoying alcohol in moderation is not a sin according to the Bible. Drunkenness, however, is a sin that can keep someone out of God's kingdom, according to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10. Lesson number three, God is a God of excellence and quality. One of the most interesting aspects of this miracle was the comment about the excellent quality of the wine. Again, this wine was created by God himself and didn't come from any earthly vineyard or winery. God's majesty speaks to his excellence and perfection. Christians should also strive for excellence in their lives. And lesson number four, God cares about us, even in the little things. The miracle shows us that there's nothing too insignificant to take to God in prayer. Though no one's life was threatened by a wine shortage, Mary still asked Jesus to help. We can take our concerns, both small and large, to God. In 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Peter encourages us to cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Jesus would go on to perform over 36 other recorded miracles, powerful miracles, many dramatically changing the lives of people for the better but he started by turning water into wine by his faith in the Father's power over the impossible. We can develop that same faith as we strive to walk as he walked. Thanks for listening. 
For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.